0: Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 5 a little bit later on, but we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 3. And um, we are in our series, Sermon on the Mount. Have you been enjoying the series so far? Really been encouraging people, don't miss a week because every single week we're building on the previous week and it's a like brick upon brick, course upon course, as we have tended to do over the last couple of um, years in the life of New Spring. Um, and the title of today's message is The Only Way to Be Satisfied. The Only Way to Be Satisfied. And we're going to um, see that a little bit later on. I think it was the beginning of this um, month when we were kicking off this series. I mentioned to both of our churches that... Um, As we go through the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, I really wanted to tie some big ideas um, together that we've been learning together over the last couple of years. And um, I I really felt that the Sermon on the Mount, as we're going through that, is going to enable that opportunity to actually bring together some thoughts and ideas that we've learned along the way as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark, as we've gone through Revelation, as we've gone through um, Ephesians last year as well. And... um, I thought we might actually just explore a little bit of that. Ephesians 3 verse 10 says this, um, which is quite familiar to a lot of us um, from the New Living Translation. God's purpose in all this was to use the church. I always have to get reminded when I read that, eh? For me, that's really good for me to know that God's purpose was for him to use the church. Because so often I feel like I want to use the church. Anyone else? You know, I'm feeling really... It's just human nature, I guess, but it's a great reminder to me that God's purpose was for him to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's some imagery and things in there that we read in Paul that seems a little bit unfamiliar to us. But in the ancient world, I mean, going way, way back, um, there are some things in the ancient world that were quite common and very unfamiliar to us, yet they are themes and threads and, and pictures that make their way in our scriptures. One of those things is these temples. So what used to happen in the ancient world is that you would have an empire and it would go into another region and the empire would conquer the other region. You understand that, Right. You go into another, another region, you conquer it. And what would happen after that is that the empire that conquered that region, they would start to do something quite significant. They would build a temple. They would build a temple. And the temple actually signified something. It was quite significant because when they built that temple, it actually um, gave a message. It actually let everyone know that our God has defeated your God. Right? That's what it did. That's what the empire kind of did. Said our God, the God of our empire, just we just kicked your God's backside. He's just gone home whimpering, you know, and saying our God is God. That's kind of what it did. But but when they built this temple, they also did something significant in that they actually put an idol or a statue inside of their temple. And the purpose of that idol or that statue was to image their God. It was a physical representation of of their God. So what was actually happening is that these temples were supposed to be these monuments that actually made a declaration that our God just kicked your God's backside, right? But the temple is only complete when you actually have the appropriate image bearer inside of it. But the other thing that it actually did and signified is that when this temple is here, this is a space here on earth, this space, this region, this is now occupied and ruled by our God. Right? Now this happened in the ancient world, so, so it was quite familiar to them. For, for us, it's kind of like kind of foreign, isn't it? But then you read about things in scriptures and you think about these things in scriptures where it says, you know, well, the, temp- the church is supposed to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. And apparently, that's actually quite a significant thing, you know. But it's very, very unfamiliar to us. Or we read other scriptures, like in Colossians two verse fifteen. In light of that, like just just, just listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter two. He says this: in this way. We're going to celebrate this way, by the way, in a week's time on Resurrection Sunday, right? Are you happy about Resurrection Sunday? Are you excited about Resurrection Sunday? Do you know the reason why we have church on a Sunday is because every single Sunday should remind us that it's Resurrection Sunday. So you don't need to wait for next week to get excited. You could be excited right now to be part of the family of God because He has risen. Amen? Now, you might be quiet, but I'm going to have some fun tonight, you know what I'm saying? But listen to this, in light of that, Colossians 2 verse 15, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, all right? He shamed them publicly. Could you imagine Paul saying, he just shamed them publicly. He made them whimper. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. What is Paul trying to say? He's actually trying to get through to the church something that is really significant, that in the definitive victory of God, of Jesus on the cross, the finished work of Jesus on the cross, that the church is now supposed to be a monument to that definitive victory of God over all of his enemies. Amen? Amen. The temple, which is complete or supposed to be complete with image bearers, we are supposed to be in this place and we are supposed to be a monument to God who has won victory over every single one of his enemies. And these temples, the church, which is just all over this beautiful, beautiful creation, as as we stand here, as we gather together, we are supposed to be a place where God comes and he rules and he reigns. This is the place where God actually rests. In other words, The church is quite literally, quite, quite literally supposed to be heaven on earth. Quite literally. Isn't that crazy? Quite literally. A temple complete with image bearers imaging their God. And the question is, that sounds kind of important, Dave. How exactly am I supposed to image God? Great question, right? You want to know the answer? It's called Sermon on the Mount. That's why we're going through Sermon on the Mount. Isn't that cool? Isn't that good to know? Does anyone else get excited with that? I'm like, this is cool stuff. Last week, um, Brett both spoke at both of our services, and um, he actually um, used a, um, a concept which should be very familiar with all of us who follow Jesus. And um, he was talking about the kingdom of God um, being both here, but also not yet. It's this paradigm of the kingdom of God is here, but the kingdom of God is still yet to arrive. This idea that the kingdom of God has been inaugurated, but it's yet to be consummated. And sometimes it's hard for us to figure out what that really means. So I've got a very simple diagram just maybe to help us if we um, kind of put that up. And there's a lot of diagrams. Just Google them and, and you'll see them if we can get that up on the screen. I've got anyone on the computer back at the screen. There we go. There we there we there we kind of go. So so we can see this world and how it's kind of going and and his creation, there's Jesus over there. But you know on the very first day or the very first week when Jesus is resurrected, which we're gonna be talking about next Sunday. Right, I think it's very interesting how the Gospel of John actually uses starts off with this creation theology, and then on the very first day, the very first week, he starts talking about new creation, which is kind of cool. You know, on that very first day, as Jesus is resurrected, the kingdom of God is inaugurated. It hasn't been consummated yet because that's going to be happening when at the end when Jesus returns. But it means that we live in this paradigm where this present world is literally passing away but the kingdom of God is coming to pass how many times over the last couple of years have I encouraged us to think this way that every single morning you and I as followers of Jesus Christ we have a decision to make where am I going to put my faith today am I going to put my faith in a world that is passing away or a kingdom that is coming to pass that is kind of where we're at So in light of these two truths that Scripture speaks of, this truth that the church is supposed to be a temple of the Holy Spirit and a truth that we are living in the kingdom of God, which is both here and not yet, that means that there's actually a specific way that you and I as the church of Jesus Christ are supposed to live in this world. And the way we're supposed to live is called that we are supposed to live in a proleptic way. A proliptic way. What does that mean? That, that, that word proliptic means it's a foreshadowing or an anticipation. Or in other words, the church, which is supposed to be a monument to God and his victory, temples of the Holy Spirit, complete with people, who image God, so that the church lives and embodies the future reality of the kingdom of God right here, right now. I don't know about you, but that makes me happy. Anyone else? I'm kind of happy about that. That... You guys don't look happy. I mean, if you are happy, if you are happy, could you somehow get the message to your face and to your cheeks and actually go, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Maybe it's just a light. But, but that's kind of how we're supposed to live. What an amazing opportunity. Wouldn't it let no other people group on the face of this earth get to live like this? That in this present world that is full of injustice, that it is full of, of, of hurt and, and things that aren't right, I actually get to embody the kingdom of God. And I get to live in such a way and demonstrate my life in such a way. And New Spring gets to do it, has the opportunity. We don't, we're not going to be forced to, but we have the opportunity to live as a foreshadow, as an anticipation for the whole world to see. Kingdom living right here right now. That, that, is so, that is so, so exciting for me. Uh, I think that's so great. Anyway, I'm jumping inside. There's a chocolate brother jumping up and down in the inside right now. <laughs> so we've been on this journey through the Beatitudes, and as you can tell, we're going very, very slowly, um, as is our custom in this church. And we've made a note of some biblical significance when it comes to these blessings that Jesus is pronouncing. I think it's pretty cool that uh, straight off the bat that he starts his sermon series. And and Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 is a collection of what you would have anticipated and expected to hear Jesus preach, teach and demonstrate as he is going through um, Israel. Um, It actually starts with blessings. That he's blessing. I think that's so, so cool. I mean, how amazing would it be if you rocked up the church on a Sunday and instead of Dave trying to get you into a scripture with some kind of random angle, he just I just got up and said, man, I just want to bless you. I just really want to bless you in Jesus. That would be cool, wouldn't it? He starts off like that. But as Jesus pronounces these blessings, he's doing a couple of things. First of all, he's letting us know the kind of people that you and I can expect to see in his kingdom. The kind of people, and, and they're not necessarily the people you would normally expect. They acknowledge that they are spiritually bankrupt. Right? They acknowledge that I'm pretty much stuffed without God. You know? I think sometimes people look at me and say, oh Dave, you're like, you're supposed to be like this leader and you're a pastor and, and you do all these things and all that. And they don't recognize, they don't realize that, man. I am absolutely spiritually bankrupt. I am before God, I am just so so bankrupt. I can't tell you how bankrupt I am. I can't tell you how I have absolutely nothing to present before my God. You know, but He seems to take me anyway. Isn't that good? He loves me anyway. I don't know why, but He loves me. He talks to me. He He's with me. He walks with me. Um, I think it's a it's an incredible thing. These people you could expect to see in the kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, they see the present reality of this world in light of the promises of God. So they know the promises of God, they see the promises of God, then they see the present reality and they look at the distance and they mourn. They mourn because of it. It unsettles them. It unsettles them. When you hear of the justice of God, when you hear of the victory of God, when you you hear of human flourishing, when you hear of the purposes of God, and then you see where the world is at, there's a distance. And we're not left indifferent by that. They mourn. They mourn. And they're meek. And understand, Brett talked a bit about meekness last week, but when Jesus is actually saying, blessed are the meek, understand that that he's saying, you can expect these meek to be in my kingdom, but at the very same time, there is an indictment, because as he is speaking now, he is pointing to what is happening in the temple. He's pointing there. Because the leaders are operating in the temple, they're not operating in meekness at all. They are taking their privilege, they're taking their positions, and instead of causing people to flourish, they are actually adding to the process of dehumanization. And that's actually a really, really profound blessing or caution for any one of us that God would actually allow us to be in a position where there is any influence. I think Easter is a great reminder. It reminds me, every single Esau, I am reminded that I myself, if God puts me in any place or position, if there is any power which he gives or anything that he gives to me, any authority, it lets me know that me as a human person, I am not strong enough to handle or to hold any authority at all. That is why I need a good, righteous king. Isn't that right? So any time that God places me in a position I need to have that attitude and that posture of meekness and humility and come before the Holy Spirit and so say, Holy Spirit, you need to help me out here. I understand I'm vulnerable right now. I understand I'm weak right now in actually being a vessel and someone who can bring about human flourishing because so often we see people who are in places of power, they start hurting people. And if you think I'm wrong, just go and like listen to what has been exposed in our government at the moment, right? Right? That is the place of power. And we see these things happening. It's a very sobering thing so Jesus pronounces these blessings he lets us know the kind of people you'd expect to see in his kingdom but he also lets us know why we are blessed two weeks ago I spoke about why we are blessed why Jesus is saying you're blessed and, and the reason why we are blessed is because in these pronouncements of blessings Jesus is actually letting all of his hearers know and letting us know as followers of Jesus Christ that every single eschatological promise, every single biblical promise that is in Israel scriptures, is in Israel story it is being fulfilled in Jesus christ and it is now going to be outworked through his kingdom people which is you and me he's letting us know that and the reason why we know that he is saying this is why you are blessed is because he does something that all the rabbis were doing in that day something that that paul does in his in his epistles he's even doing something that god himself does when he speaks uh, and declares who jesus is he's stringing pearls he's stringing pearls The way you string a pearl is that you will throw out a verse or you throw out an idea and you just have to throw out one line and what it does, it arcs all the way back in Israel's story, Israel's scriptures, and it goes to a point and it speaks of an entire promise. So if I said to you, the Lord is my shepherd, where would you go? You go Psalm 23, right? But you wouldn't just go Psalm 23 verse 1. No, 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 you go to the entire Psalm, wouldn't you? Interesting that when Jesus is baptized by John and he comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove and then God speaks. As God is speaking, guess what he's doing? He's stringing pearls. Even God's stringing pearls. How about that? But as this is happening, as these these pearls are being strung as as it's coming out of Jesus' mouth, you mind uh, mouth in the minds of everyone who is following Jesus. And remember, this is a random crowd, right? Don't think of a nice little placid church in like New Spring Church. We're talking about people who are in severe pain. We're talking about people who are demon-possessed, they're probably like manifesting. We're talking about people having epileptic seizures, we're talking about people who are crippled, being like, could you imagine what that would have looked like? right could you imagine like we we're in church and someone's been carried in because of their legs like, like over there Could you imagine someone's having a seizure over there oh someone's manifesting at the back someone's in severe this is the pe- these are the people right could you imagine if the church looked like that one day when we mature maybe we'll start looking like that <laughs> but, but 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 these people as a as they're coming and they're hearing jesus say these things their imagination It is just going nuts because they are swimming in their story. They're so engrafted into their story. By the age of six, they know more Torah. They know more scripture. They've been reading it. They've been praying it. They've been singing it. They've been going to synagogue. They know more of Torah and of the prophets than you and I know today. By the age of six. So when Jesus starts saying these things, their imagination, their mind is going, whoa, 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 whoa. And because of that, it is absolutely electric. Absolutely electric. And as Jesus starts speaking these Beatitudes in the imagination, in the minds of this crowd that are following Jesus, they are taken to places like Isaiah 61 and to Psalm 37. Just listen to this as I read it out. See if there's any of this kind of is familiar with the Beatitudes that we've looked at so far. Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 2 The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the, to the poor. How are about that? To the poor. To the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. My goodness. Listen to Psalm 37 verse 11 in light of what we learned last week. But the meek will inherit the land. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah. And enjoy peace and prosperity. See, Jesus, as he is putting these blessings out, he is stringing pearls. And he is pointing, he is arcing back to the entire promise, to the entire chapter. And this is something which sets them so electric in the atmosphere. But Jesus' use of Isaiah 61 should be quite familiar to us. If we're familiar with Jesus' ministry. Especially if we can remind ourselves of how Luke begins Jesus' ministry. Let me just quickly read how Luke begins Jesus' ministry from Luke chapter 4, verse 14 to 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it. He found the place. He didn't just like sort of like what we did. Holy Spirit, I need you to talk to me today. No, no, no. He found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. I wonder what they were thinking. They were thinking something different to what we're thinking because we just read past this. But he rolls up the scroll, gives it to the attendant, and he sits down and everyone's looking at him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing evidently jesus has been going all over the place through synagogues on this mountain letting people know isaiah 61's fulfilled in me do you get that he's stringing pearls that's why the place is electric so like, my goodness it's actually happening <laughs> Well, today we're going to move on to the next beatitude. That was just kind of a recap if you've missed any of our weeks um, leading up to this. Um, and our next beatitude is found in Matthew chapter five verse six. So let's have a look at this. Matthew chapter five verse six says this: "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled." Might interest you to know that with this particular beatitude, Jesus isn't stringing a pearl. But he is doing at least two things. Number one, he is once again sparking the imagination of this crowd, this random crowd, in regards to what they know of their story and where they are in this present moment as they listen to Jesus. And the second thing that he is doing, which is very, very interesting, is that he is once again using an inclusio that we need to pay attention to. A couple of weeks ago, we started talking about how Matthew has used inclusios to actually bring definition and clarity as to what Jesus is communicating. But firstly, how is Jesus sparking the imagination of this beautifully broken crowd that are following him? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Filled. That word filled means to be satisfied. More than satisfied, it's meant to be overflowing, literally to be bursting at the seams. And that picture, those words, that would have really caught the attention of every single person in that crowd. As we've spoken of pre- in previous weeks, as, as Cassie alluded to in her open time, they're under the ruling thumb of Rome. And Rome, they keep dominating them, they, they are treated like second class citizens in their own. Promised land, I say that in inverted commas, promised land. They're living in the promised land, but they are by no means under the promises of God. And these Romans, they keep demanding more and more money. So you can imagine as they're demanding more and 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 more. more. This means that they have for themselves less and less and less and less and less and less and less. They know what it means to be hungry. They know what it means to be hungry. But they also know their scriptures as well, don't they? They know when God has spoken to them about hungering and being satisfied. Isaiah 55 verse 1 is something that they, they comes to mind. It says this, Jesus speaking through this prophet says, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk and without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and I and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promise to David. He's a significant guy, isn't he? David? See, I have made him. I wonder who the hymn is. The hymn's linked to David. See, I've made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the people. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. What some great promises there linked to the Messiah. See, their minds are going, their imagination, they're swimming in their story. They don't need a pastor to take us to places in Isaiah. They automatically go there. They don't need no one. They're there already. Secondly, there's an inclusio. An inclusio. Another inclusio. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned this. Um, this. Oh, what? Um, inclusios, which are through scriptures. Um, through scripture. I can't think of the word. What is wrong with me? It's, it's, it's six o'clock. What an inclusio is, if you could break it down, just say you have one bracket, you have some content in the middle and it's closed off with another bracket. And the purpose of the brackets, so or the purpose of the inclusio is to bring clarity and definition to what is within um, that bracket. It's a technique, there's the word, it's a technique that the authors use in Scripture. It's a technique that's used. It's something that's used, it's supposed to help us understand what's going on. And it'll be quite interesting to find out that even though Uh, Matthew, in actually putting down these Beatitudes, Jesus is not stringing a pearl here, but he's actually using another inclusio. So Matthew 5 verse 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And then later on in the Beatitudes, in Matthew 5 verse 10, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. There's that word again. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and again, like we, we need to come to an understanding. What is Jesus saying when he uses that word righteousness? And if righteousness is this inclusio where you have a bracket here and you have a bracket there which brings meaning and definition to everything in between, well, what's actually in between these brackets? Well, in between these brackets, you find people who are merciful, you find people who have a purity of heart, and you find people who are peacemakers. So evidently, when Jesus is talking about righteousness... He's talking about people who are merciful. He's talking about people who are pure of heart, people who are peacemakers. Which means that this righteousness that Jesus is talking about right here might be different to the righteousness that we read later on in the New Testament. And that might make sense because in this present moment, as Jesus is sitting on the mountain, as he's opening his mouth, as he's pronouncing these blessings, he has not gone to the cross as yet. And Paul is not outworking what it means that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has happened to the churches around the known world as yet. In other words, there's a specific understanding of righteousness and and probably um, something that will probably really help us is is, um, N.T. Wright's translation of this verse. And this is how N.T. Wright translates it. He, He actually says this, Blessings on people who hunger and thirst for God's justice. You're going to be satisfied. People who hunger and thirst for God's justice. You know, people hunger and thirst for a lot of things, don't they? We live in Perth, Western Australia, so we don't probably haven't really got too much of a grasp on what it means to hunger for food like some other places in the world. We might get an understanding of thirst because we get hot temperatures, you know. Like if you're out working a 42 degree degree day and you get dehydrated, we might have an understanding of what it means to really thirst and need some thirst. Uh, need something to satisfy that but I don't really think that I've ever been in a place where I'm hungering to a point where I can actually understand what it means if someone who's is so desperate for food that they just need it they want it they long for it and without it they're going to die I don't know if I've ever been I know I know I've never been in that place I mean look at me for crying out loud no I've never been in that place so the metaphor may not work too well in that regard but we could imagine what it could be like and what it could feel like to hunger and thirst for something and if you don't get it you're literally going to die i think christians hunger and thirst for a lot of things don't we how many of us love spiritual experiences do you love a spiritual experience Mate, everyone loves good spiritual experience, go to a great prayer meeting, you know, come away from a prayer meeting and say, man, that was just a rubbish prayer meeting. Why? Because it didn't satisfy your spiritual experience quota, right? You come away and say, man, that was awesome, God was moving, no, 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 no. You had a great spiritual experience. Christians love a great spiritual experience, come on. We're just like that. You know, we love a good experience, you know, <laughs> What about knowledge of God? There are others like us, and I'm like this. We just love the knowledge of God. Like I keep reading books, I keep listening to people, and, and think, I just want to know more. I want to know more. I want to know more about God, and I got to be careful sometimes because knowledge really does puff up, doesn't it? Sometimes I can get some knowledge and think, you know what? You just talk rubbish, man. I know that. I know the truth. Really, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You know, you've got to be careful. Over the last 12 to 18 months, on my social media um, platforms anyway, I've been just absolutely astounded with the amount of profits out in the world. Has anyone else like heard all these profits? last 12 to 18 months have been crazy. It's been crazy. It's, it's been amazing to me that they, 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 been so, and even people in the church, they send things to you, you know, they send things to you. It's like, Dave, you need to watch it, they need to listen to this. It seems amazing to me because obviously there's an appetite among the Christian community to go and listen to and go and find a hunger for a prophetic voice of someone you have absolutely no relationship with. Not knowing that every single Sunday there is prophetic teaching coming from this very place. But you haven't tuned your ear in to actually hear the tone of a shepherd. I mean, that's just me. Am I allowed to be frank? Some of that stuff concerns me. You know what I'm saying? But there is hunger and there is thirst for so many things. And Christians, we hunger and thirst for so many things. And we go after all of these things and we are never satisfied because blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're going to be satisfied. Going after the wrong stuff, you see. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or God's justice are those among us who love God and God's will with their entire heart, soul, mind, and strength. And because of that, these people, they know there are times where they're going to have to check their own will to make sure that their will, their want, their desires lines up and is conformed to God's will, God's desires, and what God wants. And here's the key. God's will, God has chosen To reveal his will through his word. Through his word. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or God's justice will be conformed to the word of God. Is that not true? It's as though the word of God is something that you just simply cannot live without. You just can't live without it. And it's something that completely comes and shapes and molds The entire person. Conforming to God's word for someone who who, who has his hunger and thirst for God's justice. Conforming to the word of God is as important to them as food and drink. Without it, I'm going to die. Without it, I'm nothing. The norms of the kingdom of God require that men and women be hungry and thirsty for righteousness or God's justice, which only happens when God's word starts to shape and mold our entire being. And when I'm talking about the Word of God, I'm not just talking about, you know what, I know the Word of God. You know, I just, I open up my scripture and I read it this morning. That's all good. I've ticked that box. I'm not talking about just like knowing the Word of God. I'm talking about knowing the Word of God. I'm talking about wrestling with it. Have you wrestled with God's Word lately? It'd mess you up. Oh my goodness. Like everyone here would know my wife, Andrea, right? Andrea Ryder, you know her. Guess what? I know her. <laughs> It's different. It's a different knowing. When it comes to the Word of God, it's not just knowing. It. Oh, you know, I memorized that verse when I was three years old. Or I looked at that. You know what? This morning on Instagram, there was this scripture meme. And that's like, that was my word for me. I'm talking about knowing it. That you take scripture and you're wrestling with it. And you're engrafting it into your life. And you're just working it. And you're thinking. And you're praying. And you're meditating. And you're going to go, God, I want this to shape me. I want this to mold me. And not only that, I want to actually take this Word. I want it to become part of me so that when I enter this world, it shapes and molds everything around me. I want to wrestle with it. I want to bless, bless are those who hunger and thirst for his righteousness. They're going to be filled. They're going to be filled. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said this, obviously, many, many years ago. But he said this of this particular verse. He said this, I do not know a better test for, that anyone can apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of Christian profession than a verse like this. If this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements in the whole of Scripture, you could be quite certain that you're a Christian. If it is not, then you'd better examine the foundations again. Anyone need to? Don't answer that question. There are times when I need to actually examine the foundations again. Right? I don't think I'm the only one. Isn't it so good that we have the Holy Spirit with us? Isn't it so good that we have the family of God with us? Isn't it so good that that, that we have so many things that we're so blessed with in those times and those moments where we go through the motions or or we go a little bit sidetracked, that we can actually get a hold of ourselves once again and say, wait a minute, I need to examine the foundations again. I want the Word of God, the will of God. I want it to shape. I want to know it. I want to know it. I want to know it. You know, going back to that temple analogy, I want to be an image bearer. That image is God. I mean, if this is what it actually is, right? If this is a picture that as the church of Jesus Christ, as a temple of the Holy Spirit individually, but also collectively, that my life and my part in this church is supposed to be a monument to the definitive victory of Jesus on the cross that has disarmed all the powers and principalities. If that is true, and in order for this temple to be right and complete, it means image bearers need to image God. I want to image him. And the only way I'm going to image him is being by conformed to the word of God. Of God. Not just like a flippant knowing. I want to talk. Like even if it's just one verse, uh, this one verse has the potential to mess with us for the rest of the year. For the rest of the year. And guess what? The promise is absolutely extraordinary. It's extraordinary. It says this, Those who hunger and thirst for God's justice will be filled with God's justice that's exceptional makes sense though right you know makes sense man if I get hungry for something you know I try to use the example of a steak everyone knew I was lying this morning man if I'm hungry for like a great like beef and dali and I get filled guess what I get filled with the beef and dali right if I'm hungering and thirsting for God's justice what do you think I'm going to get filled with God's justice. That's a remarkable thing. That's an absolutely remarkable thing. And, and the thing is that it is a feeling that completely satisfies. It satisfies. It's an absolute and utter satisfaction. Because to actually come under, the, to, to, to have God's will, His word, to, to form us and to shape us, to come under the reign of the King, Means you get the kingdom, right? It just makes sense. I suspect, and I'm not bold enough to say this is true, I suspect that for many Christians, there's this is expectation of the kingdom of God, but they blatantly refuse to conform to his will. It's almost like going to a Bunnings store. I heard like a Christian leader talk about this a couple of years ago. He said like, like, the, like the generation today of which we're all part of, it's like us going to Bunnings and we want our faith, but we want a DIY faith. I'm going to, choo- I'm going to choose my own faith. I'm going to do my, build my own faith. So I'm going to have a bit of this. I'm going to have a bit of that. God, don't touch my money. Uh-uh. God, don't touch. Don't you dare touch my sexual ethic. No, no. You can have this God. You can have that God, but you can't have that. Wait a minute. You expect in the kingdom of God and you refuse to come under the will of God? It's simply not going to work. It's like drinking salt water. You ever drunk salt water? It never satisfies. It doesn't... Look, God wants us to be satisfied. <laughs> but we go after things that's never going to satisfy. We want the kingdom, but we don't want to come under the reign of the king. You know? And what happens, and um, I've been in parts of my life where I've done exactly this, so don't worry, we're all in the same boat, but you're left completely unsatisfied and you start reaching for these counterfeits because these counterfeits promise that they're going to heal you, that they're going to restore you, that they're going to satisfy you, and you keep reaching for counterfeits, and guess what? You're never going to be satisfied. Because blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God's justice. They are the blessed ones because they will be satisfied. I want to be blessed, man. I want to be blessed. I don't want to be drinking salty water all my life. Again, in Isaiah 55, God's spoken to Israel. He's spoken to His people time and time again through His prophets, through His people. And He says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And if you have no money, isn't that great? Even if you have no money right? Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? I mean, why you keep doing it? You know it's not fulfilling you. You know it's not satisfying you, but you know what? I'm going to go there again you know what, didn't satisfy, there's still a hole, you know what, I'm still stuffing my life up, guess what, I'm going to go there again. And God's saying, why do you keep going to those places? Why do you keep buying stuff? Why do you keep on using your labor for things that do not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. What a beautiful promise. What a beautiful, beautiful promise. What a beautiful promise. I'm going to say something that's going to probably rattle you and be a little bit controversial in your hearing right now. But understand me when I say this daily devotions, daily writing, daily reading plans, Bible reading plans, daily prayer and all that, that is not enough. You say, Say what? I thought it was enough. It's not enough if that's just like a ticket off a, a little box. That's like in the morning you put on clothes and you start walking around your house in these fresh clothes and you never get outside of the door, right? No, 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 no. The whole point and the whole purpose of me putting on clothes this morning was for me to actually open up the front door, step outside of the front door, and come here. And look, my clothes, which I put on this morning, they're gripping me. Look, like, even as I'm walking, these jeans, they are moving, they are shaped, they are gripping me, right? And that's the purpose of the Word of God. That's the purpose of prayer that we put it on. We walk outside and it's supposed to grip us. It's supposed to shape us. It's supposed to protect us from things that, 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 that might be exposed to. It's supposed to be something that others see us by. Do you understand that? It's not good enough for us as followers of Jesus Christ to have a mindset, I'm just going to tick that off, I'm going to tick that off, I'm going to tick that off. Done. Out of here. I can get on with my life. No. That's like putting on clothes and walking around your house and you never step outside to discover and to impact and see the kingdom of God break into this beautiful world that God's wanting to restore. Is that okay? God's justice is reflected in this beautiful world when His image bearers image Him. Makes sense, doesn't it? Just last night as I was just thinking through and just um, working on this message a bit, not last night, yesterday morning, I had a Psalm 119 just pop into my mind. Verse 9 to 16, the words were just intriguing to me. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart. That I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. What an incredible thing to say. As one rejoices in great riches, I rejoice in following your statutes. Wow. I want to be that kind of guy. I don't know if I'm there yet. Because if you gave me 20 million bucks from Lotto tomorrow, I reckon my rejoicing might be a bit more in that than this. But I want to be this person. Yeah. I want to be this person. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. In a world that is so discontent, so unsatisfied, and yet is so desperate to be filled that they will quite literally consume anything. Jesus talks about his kingdom. And he talks about the kind of people that you and I can expect to find in his kingdom. And he also lets us know why these kingdom people are blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. Scott McKnight, he says this: "We, who live in the in-between time of God's kingdom being announced through the life, ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus and the coming of God's kingdom in its fullness, at the end of the age, are called to live as citizens of the kingdom of God here and now, to be people of this countercultural, upside-down, blessed life of divine justice. We do this by reaching out to the oppressed, offering comfort to the depressed, feeding the hungry, clothing those who do not have enough, and providing wells to those who thirst for clean water. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. Individually, we're called temples of the Holy Spirit. And collectively, as this beautiful church, New Spring Church, we are called temples of the Holy Spirit. And temples are complete when the image bearers are in position. The church is supposed to be a monument to the definitive victory of our God. And it's also supposed to be a space where God reigns, where he rules, where there is literally heaven on earth. And in a world that is so discontent with so much, even though there is so much at their disposal, they are so desperate to be satisfied. But there is only one thing that will satisfy. It is called God's good justice. And it's for this reason that Jesus blesses and he pronounces and he says to you and I today, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God's justice, for they will be satisfied. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for your word. I ask that somehow, some way that I've been faithful in trying to articulate this. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would take these words and that you would mess with us this week. That as we consider, as we contemplate, as we dive into this verse, as we seek to know it, not just know it, but know it, form us, shape us, bring satisfaction, Create in us and shape us in a way that we more embody the kingdom of God. That we are a better image bearers in this world. That our positions, as those who reflect you in this world, our positions are more secure and more defined and more definite. And Father, I pray that there would be such a deep experience and sense of satisfaction among your people. That everything else that this world offers, it would be like ash. And that we would come running to you, our beautiful God, our beautiful Lord. We would fall on our knees in worship. We would declare that we are yours, you are ours. And that we would participate and partner in this incredible project called your kingdom in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God's speaking to you tonight. Isn't that beautiful? How about you stand to our feet? We've got no time at all, but <laughs> let's respond to God's word and worship. What an appropriate way to respond to God. What an appropriate way to respond to his word, which brings life. Not out of duty, but a response of love, a response of worship, a response of adoration. Just come in before God, say, God, I just want to worship you. I want to give thanks to you. I want to glorify your name. For no other reason, but because you're God. The standless worship. Amen.